Hi, and welcome to the Advantages Experts podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in business today. I'm your host, Dave Agnoni. Happy to be joined by Kevin Sandu, the CEO of Canadian lending firm Grow. Kevin was also one of our featured speakers at last year's Canadian Power Summit. Kevin, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Dave. Well, we're glad to have you here. And Kevin, since we last talked, your company has rebranded from Group Lend into Grow. So tell us about that, why the change, and what else is new at your firm? Sure, yeah. So the, the rebrand is probably a, a sort of a lesson learned in, in uh, uh, being ambitious as, as you want from day one. When we sat down and built this business, what we knew we were building was really the digitization of, of banking using technology to create products and services that would re replace what we traditionally think of from a banking perspective. The, I'd say the flaw in, in our thinking was initially we thought about the business, said, look, we're, we're building a, a loan product, we're lending online, let's come up with a name that's indicative of that. And as, as the last, I'd say, a little over a year has gone by, what we realized is, you know, there's a massive opportunity to take the talent, the team, the systems, and, and the technology we've built, leverage that to, to much more. We needed a brand name that was more representative of the actual problem we were solving rather than the product we were offering. And so we made the, uh, I'd say, stressful decision to rebrand, pull the Band-Aid off, and, and kind of go forward with um, something that was a bit more indicative of what the business is. How long did it take to rebrand? What, what was sort of involved in that process? You know, the funny thing is we probably spent more time brainstorming the pros and cons and the potential downsides than the actual process of, of executing the rebrand. You know, we, we must have argued or, or uh, you know, challenged the, the, the question for two or three months before we really sort of took pen to paper and went through the path. You know, once we started that, you know, it's probably a couple of months. There's obviously a technical component. There's, you know, all the, the, the legal aspect of changing the company's name, the collateral, the website, the, the branding, and, and so on. And then, and then probably the trickier piece is really the strategy component, going out and announcing to the world your stakeholders, your partners, your suppliers, your customers, even press, what is this new company and why are you now changing? Uh, and, and, you know, why is it better, not just different, but why is this actually a, an improvement? How's the response been? So far, so good? So good. Yeah, I think uh, the, the the big one is I think it's a little easier when we go out and tell the world we're we're ambitious. We're taking on the the world's biggest organizations, traditional banks, and you know here's all the things we're doing. Uh, we're not limited by sort of first impressions, for better or worse. You you hand your business card out, you send out an email, somebody sees your website, your brand, your company name is is often that first impression. And it's critical that that be indicative of what, what you're really representing to the world. And it's a little more in line now of our broader vision rather than just our initial one product. Now, our audience might not know you so well. So for our audience, give us a little background on what makes you such an interesting guy, why you decided to move from really a successful traditional career and go ahead and start a company. Why'd you do that? Yeah, so I, I guess my background sort of in the 30 seconds is is the typical entrepreneur story. You know, started my first business at 12 years old. By the time I shipped off to college, I was on to my third. At college, back to old habits and starting a you know, business here and there. You know, helped me pay for school, bought my first car, uh, saved up a bit of money. And, and actually what first ignited my interest in, in finance or, or equity markets was Take a bit of money through a, a couple of different businesses, started investing that, and really I was, I was a tech guy through and through. A, a number of my businesses, both pre and during college, were related to technology. I was studying uh, engineering at the time. But in, in all of this sort of hype, and, and just to give you sort of a backdrop of the timing, this is right at the, the peak and, 
and, and subsequent trough of the sort of dot-com boom where the whole world is turning on technology, software and hardware is going to take over the entire world, you know, the highest of highs. But I ended up living through, in fact, the lowest of lows, too, when the markets quickly came off. And so through this entire experience, I sort of, uh, there's a humbling piece of understanding what cyclicality really meant. At the same time, I actually got a real exposure to finance and, and equity markets uh, and, and grew incredibly interested with that space. So a few years later, graduating school, uh, thinking about the things I could do, I could become a programmer, I had a, a couple internships in finance, had the opportunity to work in investment banking, thought this is probably interesting, probably a good career path. But, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to do this for a couple of years. I'm going to, uh, you know, develop a bit of a network, get some work experience, return to my entrepreneurial roots. Uh, that was in 2005, which arguably was the sort of heyday of the, the last economic cycle. And, you know, a couple of years turns into a few more years. I was fortunate to be in a, at a pretty good shop that took advantage of the financial crisis. And, and we actually did very, very well and grew through the, the peak of the financial crisis. All of a sudden, you know, fast forward nearly a decade later, I sort of lifted my head up and thought, you know, geez, this isn't really what I wanted. I, not that I was entirely dissatisfied. I was, you know, working now as a 30-year-old senior VP in, in uh, investment banking, had a good career path there, but wasn't truly what got me excited. Not like the days of, of building a business, really building something from nothing. So I looked around the landscape and thought, you know, what could I do if I wanted to afford it on my own? You know, I had this background in technology. I'm really interested in finance and had a professional career in finance. Saw an opportunity, of a massive void, in fact, to apply great technology systems, deep data analytics to traditional finance. And so, uh, you know, threw in the towel and, and took a risk. Uh, that was, I guess, close to two years ago and been at it ever since. Yeah, it really speaks to the idea that you have to follow your passion, right? I mean, you had a good career path, but you saw a void and you wanted to do something a little bit different, and you went for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the quite often I get a lot of questions around you know the risk of uh, of building a business. The reality is, you take a risk with your career if you're pushing yourself to your limits anyway. You're if you're the type of person that's putting forward the best ideas to your your boss, your team, your management team, you're taking a risk and you're putting yourself out there every single time. The problem is when you win, when you come up with a fantastic idea and you execute on that like no one else could, you don't necessarily reap the same rewards you would in a truly entrepreneurial environment. And, and I don't just mean the economics of building a big business and maybe making a lot of money. I mean that real deep down satisfaction you get from building something from nothing. You know, if you're a high-performing person, you're passionate, you've got great ideas, you owe it to yourself to really capitalize on all of that and, and you know, reward yourself through something more entrepreneurial, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. People, Kevin, look at you and look at your company as, as a disruptor. Do you embrace that? Is that something you guys talk about? Do you enjoy that? Uh, does it put more pressure on you? Uh, it certainly puts pressure, yeah. It's, um, you know, we live in this funny world where uh, as a small startup business with uh, less than 50 employees, we compete against literally some of the biggest organizations in the world. I and mean, when we think about biggest companies in, in most countries, amongst that top 10 list, the majority are going to be some sort of a bank. And that is our direct competition. We're going against, you know, the, the, the virtually unlimited resources and, and uh, hundreds of thousands of employees type of companies out there. There's a real sort of David versus Goliath analogy there. I'd say, you know, for us, it might be a cultural point. We get really fired up about that. We love being the underdog. We love that challenge. And being called a disruptor in such an enormous industry, such a powerful industry, it raises the bar. There's no way you can rest on laurels. Any success we have, it's a great pat on the back, and then five minutes later, put your head down and, and back at it because, you know, there's, there's a virtually unlimited runway in front of us. 
Again, we're joined today by Gross CEO Kevin Sandu. Kevin, what trends do you see in business in 2016? Are there things maybe related to technology you're trying to leverage or get ahead of? You know, I see the technology space, this is uh, getting to be almost a, a common or obvious statement, but the world of data, data, data just seems to be, uh, you know, ever more present. When I started this business a couple years ago, we were talking about, look, we're really a data analytics play. Part of how we outcompete big banks is better data analytics. It's become the point where virtually every entrepreneur I meet today is saying, well, you know, we might sell widgets, we might provide blank service, but at the end of the day, we're really a data play. We're really a big data company. And it's almost become a cliche, but I actually don't think that that can be um, that can be sort of, uh, you know, too beaten on, beaten, uh, that, that horse can be too beaten. You know, data is absolutely the core of everything we do. It's the core of what others do. Uh, it, it's a great way to sort of bridge a gap between large established companies and, um, you know, new, new upstarts. So I think we're going to continue to see more trends there. Yeah, you know, I want to talk about the idea of persuasion. You know, you are a guy that's been successful. You've amassed it, your company's strong financial backing. I mean, you can get into a room and convince people to back you. So, you know, we have a lot of salespeople that read our magazine. How do you, you know, what advice do you give to, to people who want to, you know, get in a room, convince others uh, to follow them, you know, being more persuasive, trying to win a deal? What would you say to those people? You know, I think one of it is you, you, you can only fake passion to some extent. If you're talking to people who really know the, their business, the topic, the products, whatever it may be, you've got to really believe what you're saying. And, you know, if, if you don't, then find something that you do. Find a different business, find a different product, whatever it may be. When I'm in a room talking about my business or my products or my customers or what we're doing different, I think everyone in the room would probably agree that I truly, genuinely believe every word I'm saying. Now, some might think I'm right, some might think I'm wrong, and that's, you know, where you, you can't win them all. But I think no one would doubt the fact that what I'm saying, I, I genuinely, truly believe it, and I'm well-versed in it. You know, you, if, if it's your domain, you have no excuse for not being the most knowledgeable, smartest person in the room on that particular topic. Uh, I think that that's really key to it. Is there a trick to that and the way you prepare? Uh, you know, is it more casual based on the setting, based on who you're talking to? You know, what are some, what's a tip or two, you know, for those people that are walking into a room, maybe don't feel super comfortable? How do you get comfortable and get confident to win that deal or win over that, that customer? You know, one of the things that throws me off the most is when someone asks a hard black and white question and I don't know the answer, particularly around something like, say, numbers, market size, pricing, you know, something like that, or you could perhaps unaware of a specific competitor or recent news that morning. I rushed into a meeting first thing in the morning. I didn't read the paper. I didn't read my usual email. That sort of stuff really, really shakes me if, I, if in the middle of the meeting, um, you know, I get a question like that and it, I lose confidence for the rest of that meeting and it's, it has really detrimental effects. So I don't try to prepare a specific dialogue or a pitch because I find it sounds too practiced and, and in fact, it, it undermines that passion point. It sounds like this person is right, you know, reciting a speech and this isn't what they truly believe. But what I do prepare in an enormous amount is, you know, I study everything about the sort of facts, figures, market trends, competitors, and any recent news. There's no reason for not being fully prepared there. And then you find as you continue to go through that meeting and you start pulling out more numbers and more supporting facts and you start to win people over, there's a real snowball effect. And you start to see some smiles in the room. You start to see some agreement. You know you're really getting somewhere. And I find that that confidence just builds and builds and builds throughout that whatever it might be, 30, 60 minutes or, or longer. Sure. Kevin, listen, we appreciate your time today. I want to close with this idea, and you sort of touched on this earlier. What would you say to people who may be hesitant to take that big risk in business? You know, what stops people, and what would you say to someone to convince them to make that leap? You know, it goes back to that point that if you've got some great ideas, you know, that's, that's 
first and foremost. The table stakes that you've got to have some great ideas that you think are going to be great wing business ideas. You've got these ideas in your head. What are you going to do with them? You're not going to push them away and forget about them. You're going to try to act on them in some capacity. You can do it in the organization you're in. You can try to do it all in your spare time in the corner of your desk. But the reality is if you're right, there's no better reward than striking out on your own and trying it for yourself. You owe it to yourself, really. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate uh, your help and time today. Wish you guys the best. Uh, again, we want to thank Kevin Sandu for being our guest today. Kevin, if people want to get more information about Grow, how can they do that? Sure. Uh, you can head over to our website. It's www.poweredbygrow.com. All right. We'll check it out. Again, our thanks to Kevin, and we thank you for listening. This has been the Advantages Experts Podcast. I'm Dave Agnoni. Have a great day.